WVW Broadcast Network and The New American are pleased to present The New American TV. This broadcast is dedicated to bringing you the truth behind the news. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve Bonta, Executive Senior Editor with The New American Magazine. And today we're going to be talking about a pretty serious subject. And so... um, I hope that everybody, that this doesn't weigh too much in everybody's mind, but we feel that we need to wake people up. In the last few years, we've witnessed a slow motion revolution in America, carried out by those who call themselves the radical left. We've seen homosexuality, transvestitism, and other forms of perversion emerge from urban bohemian enclaves to become the celebrated centerpieces of our degraded culture. We've seen our cities ravaged by waves of race riots and by bold and shameless bands of criminals who loot businesses with impunity. We've seen our law enforcement targeted by mobs and stripped of legal authority to suppress criminal behavior. We've seen our southern border thrown open and a resultant tidal wave of unregulated immigration numbering in the countless millions. We've watched raging woke mobs assault and intimidate people at political gatherings they disapprove of. We've watched a grotesque parody of justice unfold as left-wing fanatics within our government and judicial system wield the pretended authority of law in order to persecute a former president and his supporters in a naked and audacious ploy to prevent them from ever having political power again. We've seen an obvious double standard at work as the supporters of one man and his political movement are harried and harassed without mercy by the machinery of the state while thousands of those who committed appalling acts of mob violence in opposition to his presidency go unpunished or very lightly censored. In a word, we've seen lawlessness increasingly seek to supplant the regular face of government, while violence and hate-filled leftist propaganda increasingly drown out the voices of reason. And all of this has arisen in the span of a single generation, and it shows no signs of letting up. In the hideous guise of the new cancel culture, these voices of the radical left have revealed themselves to be the enemies of freedom. And in their contempt for ordinary Americans, they have shown their disdain for equality. Yet, with the complicity of leftist media elites, they continue to pose as the paladins of both freedom and equality. As to matters of public policy, the moment they seize control of the reins of government after a fraudulent election, they set about destroying every vestige of economic freedom, imposing an unprecedented new range of controls and prohibitions on economic activity, from trying to destroy the energy sector to making indispensable household appliances illegal. They've imposed police state controls on Americans everywhere in the name of public safety during a pandemic, a pandemic that was caused by a pathogen engineered in a laboratory in a communist country, largely funded by American taxpayer dollars. They've lent all their support to a globalist drive to eliminate modern progress in the name of radical environmentalism and are blind to the protests of ordinary Americans now having to pay the price for their fanatical quest to create a radical environmentalist utopia. They have run up trillions of dollars in new debt, largely to finance all manner of leftist government programs which benefit no one but Beltway elites and those connected with them. And they have pursued a feckless foreign policy that has brought us to the brink of war with two nuclear-armed superpowers, showing far more solicitude for the borders of Ukraine and Taiwan than for those of our own country. 
This is just a sampling of the Marxist madness being inflicted on America by the radical left power elites and their violent myrmidons in the streets. And make no mistake about it, this is modern Marxism by any other name, political, economic, and cultural. And as the lunacy accelerates, many Americans are surely wondering, how far is the radical left willing to go in its mad pursuit of absolute and unchallengeable power? Well, fortunately for us, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. More than two centuries ago, in France, a revolution erupted that was created by the same sorts of people who now make up the modern radical left. They went by different names back then, Montagnards, Girondins, Sans-Culottes, small-r Republicans, and probably best known today, Jacobins. Neither Marxism nor communism per se had yet appeared, but the French revolutionaries were the first to identify as the left because they chose to sit on the left side of the estates general, the French Legislative Assembly. No sooner did they come to power than they began to radically remake France in a new secular totalitarian mold. Calling themselves the champions of true democracy and equality, they got rid not only of the Christian calendar, they tried to get rid of Christianity itself. In the name of liberty, equality, and brotherhood, they set up a pure democracy designed to express the whim of the mob at any given time. The token of their realm from the beginning was the manufactured riot, of which the famous storming of the Bastille was one of the first examples. They actively sought to corrupt traditional morals. Depraved figures like the Marquis de Sade were elevated to celebrity status. Now, in 1790, a wise English observer of events unfolding in France, Edmund Burke, made the following observations, quote, Laws overturned, tribunals subverted, industry without vigor, commerce expiring, the revenue unpaid, yet the people impoverished, a church pillaged, civil and military anarchy made the constitution of the kingdom, Everything human and divine sacrificed to the idol of public credit, that means government debt, and national bankruptcy the consequence, and to crown all the paper securities of new, precarious, tottering power held out as a currency for the support of an empire in lieu of the two great recognized species that represent the lasting conventional credit of ma mankind. That means that gold and silver were replaced by the French revolutionaries with paper money. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Bear in mind that this was France in 1790. The revolution at that, in that year had barely begun, and the horrors of the reign of the, of the Jacobin terror to be unleashed by Marat, Danton, Robespierre, and the rest of them was still several years in the future. And a lot of foreign observers, including some in the United States at the time, still believed in 1790 that the French revolutionaries were benign idealists and that the turbulence of the revolution would soon give way to a stable republic similar to the new United States of America. Of course, that didn't happen. France ended up the victim of the first modern democide, with millions of French dying by execution, starvation, and civil war. And it didn't stop inside France. The radical revolutionaries began exporting their violent revolution into neighboring countries. In the end, an amoral dictator who had been a member of the Jacobins and an associate of Robespierre himself led France on a 12-year campaign of military conquest across Europe, resulting in the death and misery of millions on the continent. 
Burke warned about the dangers of the French Revolution, and although he didn't foresee the rise of Napoleon, his predictions were so insightful and accurate that his reflections on the revolution in France, from which I drew that quote, remain a cautionary tale. Now, in the years since the French Revolution, the international radical left, usually under the guise of some variety of, of Marxism, has carried out violent revolutions across the world in places like Russia, Cuba, Venezuela, Vietnam, Cambodia, Ethiopia, China, Korea, and many other places, too numerous to mention, resulting in the deaths of hundreds of millions of people and the creation of communist dictatorships. Scarcely a single country remains unscathed by the relentless efforts of the radical left worldwide to carry out its revolutionary program. And all of these terrible events ultimately trace their pedigree to the Jacobins of, the 18th, of 18th century France. America is now increasingly in the grip of modern-day Jacobins. They don't call themselves that anymore, but they have as their goal the complete overthrow of American society, culture, and government, just as the Jacobins did in revolutionary France. Because of bulwarks of strengths that we have, that France in the 1700s lacked, our constitution in particular, these modern radical leftist barbarians are having a harder time storming the gates of modern America than they did the Bastille. But we can be in no doubt of what their intentions are and how, how far they are willing to go if permitted to do so. They are hell-bent on destroying, as quickly and utterly as possible, our wonderful constitution, our culture, our economic system, and even Western civilization itself, all of them the product of millennia of progress and sacrifice. Edmund Burke warned, quote, to give freedom is easy. It is not necessary to guide. It only requires to let go the rein. But to form a free government, that is, to temper together these opposite elements of liberty and restraint in one work requires much thought, deep reflection, a sagacious, powerful, and combining mind. And he also said, rage and frenzy will pull down more in half an hour than prudence, deliberation, and foresight can build up in a hundred years. So that is what's at stake. These mindless mobocrats and their calculating organizers and enablers, driven by lust for absolute power, are trying to tear down a civilization that has taken centuries to build, and with all its imperfections has resulted in a greater degree of liberty, prosperity, and progress than any other time or place in human history, and we must find a way to stop them before it's too late. We'll be back. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly, some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. Welcome back. Well, 
I guess we painted a pretty bleak picture in the first segment, but the important thing that we want to talk about today is, is first of all, identify exactly who these people are that we call the radical left, to develop a clear understanding about who they are, you know, what their plan is, how far they're willing to go to accomplish their goals. And so to that end, in, with, with me today is, is the editor of New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and he's here with me in the studio. And then joining us remotely is our able senior editor, Bill Jasper. And I, and I have to say, for those of you who don't know who Bill Jasper is, he has been um, the mainstay of the New American Magazine as far as the journalism side is concerned, the investigative journalism in particular, for decades. He has an enormous amount of experience uh, not only reporting on the activities of the radical left, both at the level of the street agitator and at the level of, you know, the elites who are behind them. Um, he has also had run-ins with them. He understands them and their techniques. So I guess I'd like to start off turning to Bill with a very basic question. So, Bill, great to see you. And uh, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so, so I'm, we've been using this term left and leftist and leftism and radical left. Um, it's bandied about a lot in the media. You know, anyone who's watched Fox News or something like that, you, know, you hear this term a lot. But what precisely does this term refer to? I mean, originally, people say, as we mentioned in, in the last segment, that, you know, it was because they sat in the left in the, in the French Legislative Assembly. But what, what does the term mean nowadays? What does it connote? Well, that's a very good question, because liberal, conservative, right, left are terms that are used uh, generally by uh, by people every day, but uh, there are rather vague uh, uh, general meanings for these things that most people don't understand. Uh, first of all, it's, it's, it's important and interesting that you brought up the French Revolution because uh, you said we don't call them Jacobins today, but uh, I beg to differ. Uh, you know, one of the most influential leftist pro-communist Marxist uh, outlets today is Jacobin magazine. Oh, good point. Which is both a print and online uh, uh, publication. And uh, it is, uh, the editor-in-chief is one uh, Bhaskar, uh, uh, Bhaskar Sununu, and he is uh, he, a radical uh, leftist who uh, is with the Democratic Socialists of America, the Marxist Education Project, uh, the Communist Party USA. So, what, what do they uh, want? I mean, what what is their program? What what unites them? Yeah. So, so, uh, so, what we we see with virtually all of the the leftists, uh, who whether they consider themselves Marxists or Marxist Leninists, is that they believe in total government. Government should run everything. Government should control everything. Uh, government uh, should uh, be the be-all and end-all. And that's why we see uh, in every uh, sphere, whether it's the economy or it's the environment or uh, any other area of our lives, they want the government to mandate, to control, to uh uh, essentially wipe out all uh, individuality and individual choice. Well, how, so, do they, how do they we, differ in that regard from, you know, more traditional, uh, you know, absolute rulers of ages past? 
you know, like the old empire well, many, builders and stuff like that. In many ways, they do not. Uh, if you look at Genghis Khan, for instance, uh, he was very totalitarian. He slaughtered as many people as Stalin uh, or Mao. Uh, but he didn't really have an ideology. He really didn't uh, push a collectivist herd mentality, which you see in all of the communists. So when we talk about uh, Marxism today uh, or communism, it's important to make the distinction between little c communism and big C communism. Big C communism communism is Marxism-Leninism as actually established by the Bolsheviks where you have a party control. And under uh, 1917 with the takeover of Russia by the Bolsheviks, we ended up with big C communism where they had actually the theory of Marx and the organization of Lenin. And so today most uh, real hardcore uh, communists refer to themselves as Marxist-Leninists. They, they believe in the actual practice of uh, subordination of the individual to the party, total. Little c communism comes along with that in that the theories get promoted culturally uh, in the Gramscian model under Antonio Gramsci's uh, hegemony of the culture model. The, and Frank, the Frankfurt School as well. Frankfurt School, which you've written about, which we published um, here. That has become very widespread as creating a foundation where people are already in sympathy with. They don't even realize that they've imbibed in this toxic uh, collectivist mindset. And they might not be uh, dedicated party members. They don't belong to the Communist Party USA or the Socialist Workers Party or any of the other uh, uh, Marxist, Maoist, uh, uh, communist organizations. And yet, and yet they have already created this uh, fundament out there that accepts all of the uh, Marxist uh, dogmas and transmits it on, on to others. And we see this on all of the college campuses. We see it in the high schools now and in the grade schools with all of the uh, various uh, attacks on Western Christian civilization. It's interesting, which, you know, that we, we think when we think of communism, we tend to think, oh, that's totalitarianism, as you were saying, where people's freedom mm -hmm. is, ad is absolutely and utterly suppressed. And yet... As, as Burke commented regarding the French Revolution, already there was this identification of leftism with, with license, with absolute radical freedom. And, and, and it's interesting. I want to bring Gary Benoit into this as well. I mean, Gary, you know, given this fact, you know, it, it, it's interesting that so many people even now can continue to confuse the revolutionary left with the pro-freedom movement. Okay, they assume that these people marching in the streets and screaming and yelling and insisting on rights for this or rights for that, that they're in fact pro-freedom and they're in the same, um, you know, tradition as the American founders and John Locke and so forth. <clears throat> what do you say to that? I mean, how could that, this confusion have arisen? Well, the license that the left supports uh, uh, is just another way of saying moral anarchy. And the left supports that because moral anarchy is going to bring about the destruction of our, our civilization. And when the civilization is destroyed, then a new order is built on those ruins. 
uh, and that would be the order of, of communism. But uh, it was really interesting what uh, Bill had to say, though, uh, about the, the difference between capital capital C communism and uh, and lower C. You know, capital C being the uh, the organization, the you know the the Linus part uh, that is coupled with uh, the Marxism. But if you look at Marxism by itself, if you look at the ideology, what did Marx, Marx talk about? And what he talked about was uh, when the supposed utopia would be created, when communism would uh, uh, come to power, that the state would wither on the, the vine. And I'm sure there are many people who believe that. They sincerely believe that that is the case. But we have not seen that everywhere, uh, excuse me, anywhere. Uh, what we've seen instead is absolute force, you know, brute power well and and uh, yeah. yeah so it uh, you know so i wonder steve uh, and bill do, do, do the uh, you know do, do the people who actually impose communism the communist rulers do they really believe in the ideology of communism or are they simply using that as a smokescreen to beguile the masses in order to come to power because whenever it comes to power it's just like what george orwell described in 1984 a boot stomping on the human face forever yeah, and I, I think it's it's a mixture, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's an interesting question, and I, I think I'd like to explore. I think in our in our next segment, gentlemen, a little bit more this issue of you know the cultural what's called cultural Marxism versus more traditional Marxism as contemplated by Marx and Engels in Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto and all of that. We'll be right back. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back. Continuing our discussion with Gary Benoit and Bill Jasper of the New American Magazine about this topic of the radical left and ultimately, you know, we're trying to ascertain how far are these people willing to go? And before we go there, I just wanted to to, to make a point. I mean, you know, when when Karl Marx originally sort of created the, the theoretical undergirding for what we now call Marxism, communism, he, see, he assumed that the conditions for creating this communist utopia were already ripe, and that all that was needed was organization and a little bit of a push in the form of some kind of revolutionary uprising to bring his program to completion. But what was discovered was that in certain parts of the world that that really didn't work. I mean, it actually did bear fruit in, 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 in the Russian Empire and a little bit later in China and Mongolia and other parts of Asia. <clears throat> but when when, when, when the Marxists tried the same thing in Central and Western Europe, particularly in the years immediately following the First World War, uh, they, were, they, they did not meet with the same level of success. And so this is what led some of them to conclude that they needed to create 
conditions that would be more amenable to a radical overthrow of the state, of the government as it existed. And, and that meant uh, transforming the culture first. So in the context of Western civilization, that meant eradicating Christianity as far as possible, uh, dissolving all natural moral ties and associations, uh, waging war on the family, all the sorts of things that we have seen come to fruition in the United States over the past few decades. And so there was an alternate strain of Marxism that we now tend to call you know, cultural Marxism, inspired, as Bill mentioned, by the likes of Antoni Gramsci, the Italian radical, uh, the Frankfurt School, mostly a bunch of academics who were based for a while in Frankfurt, Germany, and then during World War II had to flee Europe, came to the United States and brought the, their pestilential influence to large American universities, beginning with Columbia University. And then, you know, soon after, we had the radicalism of the 60s that was directly inspired by the likes of Eric Fromm and Her Herbert Marcuse in particular, who were part of the, this Frankfurt School. And so today, what was once viewed as radical and fringe has become mainstream. And it's important for people to understand that this is all of a piece, that all that stuff that you learned about Marxism, say, in the ninth, your ninth grade civics class or whatever, about redistribution of wealth and collective farms and all this type of thing, that that's only a part of the program. That's part of the end goal. But the means to that end is destroying the culture, destroying the cultural resistance. In the United States, of course, that means destroying the Constitution as well. So, I, I mean, you, you know, we, we need to talk a little bit, I think now, about just how this, the, the, this revolutionary underground is structured, okay? Because people often assume that the people that are doing this rioting in the streets and all this stuff, that they're, you know, they're bad people, maybe, but they're mostly just misguided idealists. And heaven forfend, they can't possibly be organized or conspiratorial. People hate that word. Okay. But from the very beginning, from the French Revolution onward, people like Mirabeau and so forth and Babeuf later on, you know, were clearly very conspiratorial in, in, in their modus operandi. And after the French Revolution, there were a whole series of underground organizations, the Carbonari in Italy, the League of the Just uh, in, in German, the various German states and so forth, that ultimately gave rise to revolutionary communism, which in its turn was also conspiratorial. The history of 20th century America was partly defined by the influence of the communist underground actively trying to, you know, the communist party trying to, you know, to undermine the American lifestyle. So the question is, where are we today? Uh, what are these, you know, what are these people trying to accomplish? Um, Bill, could, could you comment on that a little bit? I mean, what, what, where do you see things today? I mean, we're not, this isn't the 1950s with Joseph McCarthy anymore. So what's, what is our, what is our condition? With regards well, to these our people tradition and is is such it, that we have been very profoundly uh, already affected by a revolution. The uh, the uh, book uh, "The People's Pottage" by Garrett Garrett uh, he pointed this out over seventy years ago uh, during the New Deal revolution. He said the revolution has already taken place. We have a revolution within the form, and that is a, a, a communist principle. A revolution within the form uh, is that which is taking place while the uh, appearances uh, seem to indicate that things are still pretty normal underneath uh, the termites are working and digging away the foundations and attacking all of those things that we hold sacred 
Uh, and that was prefigured in uh, the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx uh, uh, said, uh, even the, the radical uh, raise up at, at our uh, uh, claim to abolish the family. What? Abolish the family? He's, so he, he said, yes, the family is part of the uh, bourgeois culture that has to be uh, wiped out. And he wrote then a, a, an essay, The Holy Family, uh, in which uh, he lays that out even in more detail. And we see that uh, today as well, most profoundly in the very militant LGBTQ, LMNOP uh, revolution that has just exploded, as you uh, allude to in your, in your introduction, uh, with devastating results all across uh, the world. And that is being promoted. Uh, it's, it's important for people to understand that the revolution that we're seeing here that is being spearheaded by very radical Marxist-Leninists, the ones who are who you see on the uh, talking head shows and the ones that are at the colleges and universities, uh, they are working hand in hand with uh, some other very important adjuncts uh, to this whole revolution. We have the revolution in the streets, that's the Antifa and all of the, the very radicals who are announcing their purposes. And then we have the revolution in the suites. Those are the ones in the big tax exempt foundations and the corporations who are funding all of this and promoting it and giving uh, uh, plenty of media coverage to them. And then we have the foreign actual communist uh, element of communist China, particularly today, where you see it uh, very clearly, uh, where the big globalists, the the revolutionists in the suites, in the foundations, and the and the big corporations are working hand in hand with the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and they are bringing the cultural revolution of China here into our very own country. I really like it, that revolution in the street and revolution in the suite. That's that's mm-hmm. that's that's a nice turn of phrase. So those of you who are watching. File that away and remember it. I just want to bring Gary in for a minute. Thanks, Bill. That, that was in, incredibly insightful. We're going to go, we'll pursue that a little bit more. But I mean, Gary, I mean, why do these people apparently hate our civilization, our freedom so much? What's, what's wrong with them? Well, first of all, they don't have a moral basis. They do not have a moral compass. They are totally amoral. And of course, we need to define what we mean by they because uh, uh, obviously there are people who are, are beguiled. And uh, there are people who uh, pick up and carry the flag of communism, whether whether it's under that name or a different name, but uh, let's call it the flag of the uh, the total state. It might be Nazism or communism or socialism or uh, New Dealism, but they sincerely believe it. But there are others, I believe, who really do not believe in the communist ideology itself. They really do not believe that the state is going to wither on the vine but they're using this ideology in order to get uh, people who are not part of their conspiracy to uh, to contribute to, to building um, communism, to building the uh, the total state. And they will go to any length necessary because they hate God. They see themselves as God on earth. Uh, they hate people. Uh, really, you could look at communism or totalitarianism 
If you had to use one word to describe it, as you pointed out, Steve, yourself, uh, a good word to describe it would be would be hatred. They're, they're shaking their fists at God. Co- collectivized and, and, hatred. Uh, yeah, yep. collectivized uh, hatred, uh, exactly. And so they'll go to any length. Uh, I mean, and look at what they've done throughout history, uh, you know, the history of, of communism. Uh, they've killed literally hundreds of millions of their fellow citizens. Okay, so we're, we're going to pick up on that in our next segment because, I mean, what we're, what we're angling at here is to try to get a sense of, 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 of what could lie ahead if we don't resolve this problem, what these people are willing to do, how far they're willing to take things. Okay, I mean, I, I, again, as someone who's lived in a communist country and seen how a, how a communist party operates, I, I can attest that this is, this is serious business. And we, we Americans must wake up before it's too late. We'll be back. They say I'm part of a global plan. I don't think so. It's too hot, it's too cold. You know what? The weather changes. Here's the news, Dad. Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. Ditch the fake news and always get the truth. Go to thenewamerican.com. Well, welcome back. I mean, we've been talking about some pretty serious stuff and maybe to lighten the mood a little bit, we'd like to show you a, an, an amusing little video. It's not it's produced originally by the, by the hilarious Babylon Bee, but it, it shows up a major problem, and that is the incredible naivete of many Americans with regard to the radical left. So let's watch. Hey, I'm Brett, he, him. Hola. Hola. Yeah, that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> that ain't it, Chief. Really? Isn't Chief cultural appropriation too? And secondly, uh, I'm from Cuba. <laughs> that's awesome! I love your sandwiches. You know, it, it is pretty sad that those Cubans don't really appreciate the great social programs they've got. Am I right, Chief? I mean, um, man, person, Cuba person. Great social programs? What are you talking about? Well, you know, like take health care, for instance. Yes, we had health care, but it mostly consists of us rubbing dirt in our wounds. But my grandmother was able to build this pretty cool wheelchair out of an old washing machine. You must be mistaken. I learned all about Cuba's excellent social programs in college. Is that right? How long have you been in college? Half a semester. So yeah, I'm pretty much an expert on socialism. In fact, I'm inviting people to the meeting my group is having. Socialists undermining capitalist knowledge. Ay, ay, ay. Tell me what else you've learned in college about my country, Mr. Expert. Bernie Sanders taught me that Cuba has great literacy programs. Yeah, we used to have to write, I will obey Fidel Castro a hundred times every morning. Also, Bernie taught me that the poor rose up and they stole the means of production from the ugly rich people. That sounds amazing. We didn't own anything with regards to production. Ah, but what we did have, we had a 20-year-old anemic donkey named Gus. I do miss Gus, but he was delicious. Okay, by the way, how did you end up in this dystopian capitalist country anyway? We got it really rough here. Hey, did you order the orange mocha frappuccino? Oh yeah, that's me. Okay. I hate when they look at you like they expect a tip. Anyway, yeah, how did you end up in this terrible place? We escaped on a raft made out of a mattress and inflated surgical glove. You mean to tell me that you came to America on purpose? No, 
Not on a porpoise, on a raft. I, I just, I don't understand how somebody could flee Cuban paradise and come to this oppressive, totalitarian hellscape. I can tell you, we didn't have any of those in Cuba. That I can guarantee you. What, you mean that in Cuba you guys only have like iPhone 12s? No, don't, don't tell me. iPhone 11s? <laughs> no, that can't be right. You young people don't have any idea what socialism is like. I, my ride's here. Yeah, mom. Yes, I'll be there in a second. Gosh, I'm gonna be late to the Antifa protest. Well, there you have it. I, I think this, you know, this, this really points up a problem that we have, an obstacle that we need to overcome, and that is that many people, uh, you know, in the case of the very earnest young man in the video who obviously thinks he's doing the right thing, people really, really fail to have misdiagnosed what the radical left is all about. So, gentlemen, both of you, I mean, here's what we're leading up to. We've we sort of seen the mask torn off the benign mask the radical left has worn for so long, at least in our country, torn off in the last few years. I mean, we've seen their determination to hold on to the power that they now have, you know, and, and, to, and to wield it, it without, you know, without pity, uh, without reserve on any people that they or organizations that they perceive to be a threat to them. We're seeing this every day in the news. But now the question is this. Realistically, what are they capable of? How far are we like? Are how far are they willing to go in America? Well, obviously, the young man in that video that you just showed does not have a clue. Uh, he is absolutely clu clueless, and he is supporting the uh, revolution. But uh, so, what would you what if, would you tell him if he was listening to us well, right now? I, uh, one thing I would I would tell him is that uh, you know he's going to be one of the, the ca casualties. That he is a useless uh, idiot. Uh, or as Hitler put it, a useless uh, uh, eater. And uh, of course, you'd have to get him to listen. But but uh, that's one of the wonderful things about truth, though, is there's something special about the truth that if somebody is willing to listen, uh, it really comes across much more effectively than, than falsehood. Yeah. Bill, what about you? Well, yes. So uh, you and I and probably Gary, all of us have had this experience. Uh, I go back to college um, back when a lot of this was really germinating in the 70s. I started college in 1970, university. And uh, I was uh, not as far gone as that uh, young man in the, in the video, but uh, I was beguiled for a while. It was a very tumultuous time with the Vietnam War going on uh, and disillusionment, and at the same time, the British rock invasion and the, the uh, hippie movement and everything. There was so much ferment and uh, so much confusion that you have this, this uh, mass dislocation, psychological uh, dislocation, undermining of everything. You had the sexual revolution, the music revolution, all of this. And uh, for a time, particularly with regard to the Vietnam War, uh, I was getting bombarded with propaganda uh, uh, on all the terrible atrocities that Americans were uh, allegedly committing over in Asia, how much it was costing, etc. And so uh, at the time, uh, the young man is wearing a Che Guevara. Uh, that was 1969, 70, when a Che Guevara was the big symbol. 
uh, big sex symbol for a revolutionary symbol. And I can I think he still is, Bill. Um, yep. <laughs> that has not changed. Yep. Well, yes. So all of a sudden now, uh, 10 years ago, that made a big comeback. And now you still see it. And even the uh, Mao cap with the red star you're seeing again. So um, when you when you talk to young people like this, uh, there it's hard to tell what will actually grab them. Uh, Gary hit on it where he said that uh, so many of them don't have a moral compass. They've ejected, if they previously had it, a religious bearing, particularly Christian bearing. Most Americans uh, still were brought up in some kind of Christian home. Uh, but uh, in the new uh, the new science, the new materialism, and the new philosophies that they learn in college, you don't need uh, Western civilization, you don't need and don't want uh, Christianity because that's part of the exploitive uh, cultural uh, hegemony that Marx and Gramsci have denounced and so most of them have ejected that. One of the things that, that seems to uh, work with many of them is understand getting them to understand that the revolution always eats its own. The term the revolution eats its own has been uh, demonstrated from the French Revolution onward. And from the French Revolution we saw that even the leaders of the French Revolution from uh, Desmolines and Philippe Galate, the Duc d'Orleans, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Marquis de Sade, uh, Danton, Robespierre, they all ended up getting uh, Madame Guillotine as well as all the, the many others who they had already declared enemies of the people. And again, we saw that in the Bolshevik Revolution, we saw it in uh, post-Bolshevik Revolution under Stalinism, we saw it in Mao's China, everywhere. Uh, once this power is unleashed, uh, no one is safe. No one is safe when freedom fails. And no, so even the, Che Guevara was not safe, was he, Bill? No, he wasn't. And uh, all of the uh, revolutionists who aided uh, Castro to power, except for Raul, his brother, virtually all of them ended up uh, in prison or uh, executed. Okay, so, well, so, so, so maybe we can paint a scenario. Concretely, what does America look like? Let's, let's just assume that the, that the John Birch Society and the freedom movement ceases to exist or fails in its mission, and America falls definitively under the control of leftist revolutionaries. We have, a, in effect, a communist revolution in the United States. What happens then? What does America look like? Well, a lot of people might disagree with me, but I will say that the killing fields will, will come back, that it will not just be a case of... Uh, being controlled by, by censorship or by the internet or uh, maybe not being able to get a, get, a, get a good job if your political views are, are known. But because of the nature of power and because uh, uh, of absolute power uh, in particular, uh, the effect that that has on the people who wield it, um, I, I think the killing fields will come, come back. And uh, uh, I, I think it will just be like Soviet Russia or uh, Maoist China or what happened in Cambodia where something like I believe two out of every seven people were killed uh, I think that the revolutionaries uh, who are at the head of this conspiracy will go that far Bill what about you well uh, I, I don't disagree at all in fact when we talk about the revolutionaries in the suites the big uh, 
uh, corporate and foundation people, uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, they have already put out many times their idea that the world is overpopulated. And that again harkens back to the French Revolution. Depopulation was a major uh, plank of the French Revolution, as it was in China, it was in Cambodia, it was in Ukraine and in Russia. And so uh, we saw in China during the Cultural Revolution, of course, many of these Antifa BLM type street revolutionaries were unleashed to uh, uh, eliminate many of the quote-unquote enemies of the people, which included many of the, their communist professors. Uh, and so we'll see uh, that happen again if we allow ourselves to fall into that trap, that we will see a depopulation effort. And that's something that both at the street level and at the sweet level, uh, the collectivists are in agreement on. Sort of trying to hit the sweet spot. Anyway, yes. uh, well, this, this is a grim topic, folks. But it's important that we be warned about this. Um, there's a, a book just came out by Mark Levin called American Marxism that talks about this. But we need to understand that these are radical Marxists. We'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. Well, welcome back. I hope you're still with us. I know this is hard to listen to, but it's important. It is important to you and to your posterity and to the future of not just this country, but the entire human race and Western civilization in particular. We are talking about nothing less than the enemies of civilization. Now, I wanted to pick up with, with what, something very important that we were talking about when we kind of ran out of time in the last segment, and that is that, that fundamental to the agenda of the radical left is population reduction and population control. You know, Bill mentioned that this is something, and this is not widely discussed, but it appears to have been part of the thinking of the French revolutionaries, that a lot of the, the, what they did, the mass murders they committed, were with a, a conscious effort to reduce the population. And we've seen this as a recurrent theme from that time forward. It kind of lends a sort of motive to the madness. And so I, I guess I wanted to dig down to this a little bit more. Bill, I mean, we have... Uh, of course, many ways, multifarious means that the West, left seems to be pushing for to, to reduce and control population. What, what, what Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yes, it's coming at us on many fronts. Uh, of course, the uh, most obvious uh, front is that of abortion. If you actually kill a, a child, then you are uh, helping to depopulate the planet. And we have had 
uh, over the last uh, 50 years, uh, uh, tens of millions, actually, uh, if you look at all the methods of abortion in all the countries of the world, it's actually been hundreds of millions uh, who have been killed. Uh, so uh, that is an obvious uh, way in which depopulation is coming about. And of course, you're familiar with China from experience. They have the one child policy there. They have a forced abortion policy and limiting the number of uh, children that could be had there. Now it's uh, up to two and then they, uh, they, they've they changed that. But again, it's government uh, in control of all of that. Uh, homosexuality and the promotion of that is another way. If you have uh, people uh, in, who are lesbians, homosexuals, and any of the other uh, gender permutations, perversions that are being promoted, uh, you're not having procreation. Uh, that is uh, another way of limiting the population. The transgender uh, one is, is, of course, a huge one because uh, right now we are convincing tens of thousands just here in the United States of young people, primarily girls, but it includes boys as well, to uh, mutilate their bodies, to uh, in, engage in uh, surgical procedures that uh, that uh, castrate or neuter them. Uh, and uh, that is, that is of course, also part of the depopulation effort. But when we get to the actual uh, total uh, communist control, uh, then it's off to the gulags or off to the firing squads or uh, in the French Revolution, the noyads, the mass drownings or the cannonades where they herded people into uh, into fields and then just uh, blew them up with cannons. So there, now we, of course, have many other means to, uh, modern means to eliminate people on a huge scale. And we've already seen, as I mentioned, several of the ones that are being used uh, right now in our midst. And... Uh, it is being uh, promoted by those who truly hate uh, hate America. They hate God. They hate the, uh, the traditional family. The leader of the one of the leaders of the transgender movement is a man who now goes by the name of Susan Stryker. He's a professor at um, Arizona State University, a visiting professor at Harvard, of course, and others. And he has written. Uh, and he's being promoted in all of the, the, the major media as one of the leading thought leaders uh, of the transgender movement. And he says uh, that we hate uh, the traditional heterosexual family and that we have to destroy it. And uh, he's written this uh, trans movement manifesto. Uh, extolling this. Yeah, and this, is, this is just amazing. And I mean, you know, for, from the point of view of the casual observer, it might look like what William James famously called a booming, buzzing confusion, but there is a clear ideological consistency. And at the core is this fundamental philosophy of hatred of humanity. Well, we have about five minutes left, gentlemen. And, you know, we have, we, we've talked about some, frankly, some pretty dark stuff. Sometimes it is our unhappy duty to do this and to report on it to you so that you are informed, better informed about this. Uh, but we would be, it would be remiss of us if we ended without talking about what the solution is. Because obviously, we don't want to go where the radical left is trying to take us. And I'd like to, like just, Gary, what do you think? How do we, how do we stop this? Through truth. And uh, through waking the town and telling the people and, and getting them involved. 
and uh, it's not inevitable. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, nothing uh, nothing inevitable about this because people make history, and since people make history, people can change history. So if the good guys, so to speak, if they get organized and involved uh, and work against this conspiracy and expose it, uh, that's all that's needed to uh, uh, to stop it. Is it though? Because uh, don't mind if I push back a sure. little bit, but we've seen. We saw an extraordinary amount of pushback with the MAGA movement, and we even elected a man to office who, for uh, to the presidency, who, for all of his considerable imperfections, is basically an American patriot, mm-hmm. is opposed to the agenda of the globalists and mo- mo- most of what we've been talking about, and does, does not, you know, does not mince words telling people that. And look what's happened to him now. Yeah, but look at the MAGA movement, and the MAGA movement is far more important than President Trump. Uh, Not to say that he's unimportant, but let's not forget that the reason President Trump got elected in the first place uh, is because he challenged the uh, conspirators for global control. He talked about America first. In fact, he explicitly said America first, uh, a phrase that is anathema to the uh, conspirators for global control. And he got into office despite of all the big guns being fired against him. He got elected president of the United States. And that was because of the movement that already existed in the first place. MAGA made possible, although it wasn't called MAGA at the time, but that made possible the rise of Donald Trump to the uh, the presidency. And MAGA is still around, and it's bigger than ever. And in the future, uh, with or without Donald Trump, under the name of MAGA or under, the, uh, uh, under a different name, that movement is going to continue to grow. And the conspirators, the insiders, the elitists, the, the power elite, uh, deep state, whatever you want to call them, uh, they are quaking in total fear about this awakening of the American people. Well, you paint a very optimistic picture, Gary. And I, and I, well, I, how, how do you feel, Steve? I agree. Yeah. And I, I've probably ta- spoken too much already. <laughs> so I'm going to defer to Bill here. Bill, what's your take on this? I mean, is, 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 this, is the outcome a, a foregone conclusion here? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, it's really up to us, all of us, uh, those who want to preserve our freedoms, our families, our our nation, our, our civilization. Uh, and there are there are many, many hopeful signs uh, all around us. Uh, uh, we see this uh, uh, young boy out in Colorado, uh, Jaden, uh, don't remember his last name, just a uh, grade school kid who stood up against the um, uh, the woke uh, LGBTQ LMNOP uh, agenda at school. Uh, they wanted to, him him to take his uh, MAGA uh, badge off of his uh, backpack. He refused, and it became a, a big sensation. It went viral. Millions of uh, p- people have taken heart from that. Uh, you see the the um, new Richmond, north of, of Richmond, uh, the new uh, Anthony uh, uh, mega hit. Or the, the, uh, the, the, the Simi Valley School. I don't know if you follow that story in Simi Valley, California, where the people literally took over the school board and actually threw the— Yes, so, I mean, this is Yeah, threw a state official out of, out of a school board meeting because they were promoting the woke policies and everything else. Yeah. Yes, this is happening all over. And the same thing, the—, the, the Liberal media, left-wing controlled media have gone berserk over uh, the other uh, big uh, viral song that went number one, uh, Try That in a Small Town. 
Uh, all of these things, you know, they, they, they are trying to use all of their default mechanisms, uh, denouncing everyone as racist or conspiracy theorist or, or uh, uh, QAnon. Uh, speaking of that, of course, Sound of Freedom, another uh, big example. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, we could go on. We're, we're about out of ta time here. So I just wanted to wrap this up. I, I really appreciate what you both. I, th I think the takeaway is. There's reason to be optimistic, but we shouldn't underestimate them, and we need to be clear-eyed about what their intentions are.